This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to the show. Later on in the hour, Monty will share with us the clips that he has from the White House Conference on Hunger that he attended yesterday, his clips of the president uh, and Susan Rice, among others. And we'll be talking to Monty about what he heard, what he saw, and what is going to come out of this important event that he was invited to by Congressman Jim McGovern. First, we have for you a conversation with Larry Hott, our own Emmy Award-winning filmmaker based in Florence. Larry, tell us what you have for us today. I'm really excited to hear about, well, both of the films you want to discuss. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Monty. Uh, I have two films that are very appropriate for the season, the season being the high holidays. Uh, we are now between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, all, um, known as the Days of Awe, or as we say in my household, the Days of Awe Shucks. And there are two very appropriate films that I've been looking at. Um, both of these films are up for consideration for the Academy Awards because it's Academy season once again when the Academy starts sending me documentaries to review. What, when when are the Academy Awards? Or when the is Academy the Academy Awards? Are, Awards? Well, they're, they're going to be next year in February or March. They keep getting pushed back. Um, but the way it works is they start sending out films to the various committees to review over the summer. And I get assigned a, a variety of films, both documentaries, long and short. And I could also vote on all the other categories, too. It's a very complicated system. But basically, I'm on the documentary committee. And I see somewhere between 80 and 110 documentaries a year. Uh, it's a big commitment, but uh, one aspect of it is that I don't have to watch the documentaries all the way through if I don't think they're worthwhile. But the two I am reviewing this morning, I thought were quite worthwhile and connected. And one of them is Hallelujah, Leonard Cohen, A Journey, A Song, which is about it's a, well, let's say it's a biopic, but a biopic about a song, about Hallelujah. And the other film is also musically related. It is about Fiddler on the Roof. And it is about how that became a movie. Just, I never really thought much about how Broadway musicals become movies, but this is a filmmaker's film. And it is a very musical film. And it's also a biopic about Norman Jewison, who was the director of the movie Fiddler on the Roof. These two are related. So I think maybe if we go to a clip from Hallelujah first, you'll get a sense of what that film is about. Are you ready, Monty? Ready. You look around and you see a world that cannot be made sense of. You either raise your fists or you say hallelujah. I was a young reporter for Rolling Stone magazine in 74 doing a piece on Leonard. He's so gracious. It goes like this, the fourth. Leonard, he was always a spiritual seeker. Unlocking the mysteries of life was his primary preoccupation. Sitting in a meditation hall for four or five hours a day, you kind of get straight with yourself. Leonard was often starting with this song, first thing, coffee, then working on Hallelujah. There was a lot of verses. The number 180 comes to mind. The real song, where that comes from, no one knows that is grace, that is a gift. Columbia Records 
refused to put it out. So this film... Whoa, wait a second. Stop there. Columbia Records refused to distribute Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen? Really? Yes. Right at the start, the song looked like it was never going to make it. And that's why this is an interesting film, because the song has a story. There's an arc. There's a beginning, a middle, and end to this song. And it's not what you think it is. And Leonard Cohen, uh, to me, is not exactly who I thought he was either. Uh, One of the things that uh, one of his friends, uh, a producer named Sloman, and I mean a writer, a rock critic, says that Cohen was most interested in holiness and horniness. Uh, which I hey, that's me. A lot of people, a lot of people I know. <laughs> One of the fun things I I found out in this in this film is that uh, Suzanne doesn't take you down. Uh, Suzanne, who was his partner wife for a while, the song Suzanne takes you down is not about her. Who it's about, I don't know. But there's a lot of sexuality in Leonard Cohen's songs and a lot of spirituality too. And the film is a journey through his life and through the progress of the song, how he wrote it, how many verses there were. Somebody in the trailer says maybe there were 180 verses, verses that are taken out of some performances, particularly uh, performances for children. Uh, In fact, the song was background music for the first Shrek movie, and they took out some of the more provocative verses there. Um, The thing I think that's most interesting about this is the earworm nature of Hallelujah, the love-hate relationship we now have with a song that is used at every wedding. It's even, it's used in services ecumenically, you know, across the spectrum. Uh, I mean, raise your hand if you've heard Hallelujah too many times in your life, yet you still like the song and you can't get it out of your head. That's what happens with this film. Uh, And Leonard Cohen becomes kind of a lovable character when and when he's kind of a sad guy, he's kind of depressed. Um, but the song brings him back. And there's one curious thing about this film, and I guess it would be my only major criticism. There is a passing reference to Leonard Cohen being robbed by his manager and becoming bankrupt as a result of it, going to an ATM and finding out that there's no money in his account, literally. And then the film just goes on. And you say, wait a second, wait a second. Isn't that a good story? But the film is saying- It's a terrible story, but it's also, it's absolutely true. It is, it is true. And one of the reasons Leonard Cohen goes back on the road is to make enough money to survive. And luckily the song that he had written 20 years ago has taken off. And he performs it over and over again, all over the world. And, you know, I said at the beginning- Was that Hallelujah? That's Hallelujah. And I said at the beginning, this is a very, this is a very Jewish film, yet people relate to it across every, every religious uh, persuasion. Uh, There's a a frequent interview in the film with Leonard Cohen's rabbi. I didn't know Leonard Cohen had a personal rabbi, but he was raised in a Jewish community in Montreal. And his rabbi, who is very, very uh, erudite, eloquent, but also kind of hip guy, uh, had maintained a relationship with Cohen up until he died. And he explains that Cohen's connection to Judaism and spirituality was not so was not ethnic as much as it was a spiritual quest for him. And he spent years and years uh, in, in a Zen Buddhist retreat 
Um, and this comes out in the film. So this is more than a film about a person, more than a film about a song. It's really a, a quest. Uh, you know, this is somebody who goes through many, many changes, and the song goes through many, many changes, and there are parallels between Cohen and the song. Uh, the film is available on Hulu and Netflix. Uh, it's just a warning. If you watch this film, you will not be able to get this song out of your head for at least two or three weeks. It's sort of like jet lag, right? So <laughs> you, you've been warned. Watch the film, but be prepared. Okay, let's take a break there. And when we come back, we're going to talk about, well, another religious film, which is, Larry, what are we talking about? We're talking about Fiddler, The Journey to the Screen. We'll be right back. And it pleased the Lord. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Business West. The vital business news in Western Mass is in Business West. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Lundgren Honda. Experience it. Now, it isn't just one thing. It is everything you expect when you're looking for your next car, your first car, or to repair your car. Award-winning customer service, no-hassle, negotiation-free pricing, and friendly, familiar faces you know and trust with your vehicle. Hi, Marty here from Lundgren Honda. If you are looking for a pre-owned car, truck, or SUV, we have it. The best selection. The most pre-owned vehicles you'll find anywhere in Franklin County and beyond. Over 100 to choose from. Some dealers may be struggling with their inventory, but not here at Lundgren Honda. We have over 25 half and three-quarter ton trucks in stock and ready to roll. Lundgren Honda is consistently increasing their inventory, the best selection of new and used vehicles in the tri-state region for the best price you'll find anywhere. Experience it. Consumer Satisfaction Award winners two years running. Lundgren Honda proudly provides you with an award-winning experience. See the latest selection of new and certified pre-owned cars at 409 Federal Street and LundgrenHondaOfGreenfield.com. Lundgren Honda of Greenfield. Experience Smith Academy in Hatfield is accepting school choice applications through September 30th. With class sizes averaging 10 students, Smith Academy can offer more than 20 clubs, 7 AP courses, 14 sports teams, work studies and internships, free dual enrollment at HCC and Smith College, and computer science for all students. With a graduation rate of over 95%, most college-bound, Smith Academy can prepare you for the next step. No cost to apply or attend. Call them or go to HatfieldPS.net and schedule a tour today. You know, Gordy, I was thinking, now that it's just you and me hosting the Cambridge Connection each week, we're sort of like, I don't know, one of those famous radio teams. You know who I mean. You mean like Bonnie and Clyde? We aren't that famous yet, but what we get to share every week with our listeners is expert knowledge from a community of people who are making a difference every day by helping others achieve financial independence and freedom. And that includes your day job as a rock star counselor at Cambridge Credit Counseling. One of the reasons I love being a part of the Cambridge Connection is that we have the opportunity to share real stories of people and organizations that make a difference across all aspects of financial wellness. And we also get to share stories of real people with real financial problems and offer possible options they can follow to turn a negative financial situation into a positive one because everyone's situation is different. So folks, join myself, Tina Marie, 
and our special guests and experts each and every week right here on The Cambridge Connection on WHMP. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our segment, Cool Films, with Larry Hott, Northampton's own Emmy Award-winning filmmaker, Larry Hott. We are going to turn now from Larry's discussion of Hallelujah, Leonard Cohen, A Journey, A Song, to Fiddler's Journey to the Big Screen. Both of these films available, as I understand it, Larry, on Hulu, Netflix, or other streaming platforms. Fiddler's Journey to the Big Screen, talk to us about that. Boy, there's a, a connection between these two two films. And not only are they both Jewish films that we're talking about in the Jewish New Year, uh, but they also have the word journey in the title. Uh, we were talking about uh, earworms just when we were off the air. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a wonderful film called One, Two, Three. It was a, a comedy released in the, in the 60s. Uh, and uh, one of the themes in that film is uh, German spies um, I mean, Russian spies in, in Berlin after the war and what the Americans use to torture the German spies to, to the Russian spies to get them to talk is to repeatedly play itsy beanie, itsy weenie, itsy, itsy bitsy teeny weenie yellow polka dot bikini uh, until the spies break. So hallelujah wasn't quite as bad an earworm as that, but it's, it can get in you. Uh, Fitter, uh, Journey to the Big Screen, is a real filmmaker's film. It's about how do you take a beloved musical and turn, make it work for the screen. And at the same time as it is a film about filmmaking, it is a biopic about Norman Jewison, who's the director. And Norman Jewison, many times in the film, goes to great lengths to say to people, look, I am not Jewish, even though my name means son of a Jew, <laughs> Jewison. Um, he says very clearly, uh, I am a goy. Uh, how did he get picked to do this film? Well, he's a great filmmaker. I, he, one of his first films, I didn't realize this, was The Russians Are Coming. The Russians Are Coming. Um, he was known for uh, comedy films, uh, but he seemed to have a real connection with John Williams, who did the score for the Fiddler movie. And he also decided that he didn't want Zero Mostel to be the star who had starred in the play on Broadway. He wanted somebody who was more who had a face that was made for the movies and who moved in a way that worked for the movies. And he found a man named Topol, T-O-P-O-L, who was starring in the London West End production of Fiddler on the Roof. And he himself becomes a major character in this film. So, uh, Monty, if you have it queued up, let's hear uh, the trailer for Fiddler's Journey to the Big Screen. All right, hold it there. Arthur Cram looked at me and he says, what would you say if we were to say, we want you to direct Fiddler on the Roof? And then I said, what would you say if I told you I'm a goy? Taking a play and bringing it out into the real world, it's always a challenge for a director. Bringing Fiddler to the big screen was certainly one of my great challenges. Jewison is one of the few directors who understood that. He had fantastic sense of rhythm musically. John Williams managed to harness my singing and almost make the verse that I do with the shawl kind of ballad-like. Matchmaker, matchmaker, I'll bring the fame. It's not just about a dairyman with five marriageable daughters. It's more than that. 
there's something else that gives these shows their power. You might remember a couple of years ago, there was another Fiddler documentary called Miracle of Miracles. Um, and that was the reason for that film at the time was there was a Yiddish version of Fiddle on the Roof that had just come to New York City. And they took a look backwards at where did this play come from and how did it play around the world? And there was a famous line from that film where the uh, producer in Japan said, I don't understand how people in America can like this play. It's such a Japanese play. Uh, and that line also appears in this film, Fiddler's Journey to the Big Screen, this time told by Norman Jewison. And Jewison really brings a, an interesting sensibility to this. Uh, he tells a story in the film about having grown up in a Jewish neighborhood in Canada and how he felt that he, he had always felt that he was Jewish. In fact, later in the film, he gets, uh, he remarries and has a Jewish wedding. Uh, yet at the same time, the most important thing to Jewish and uh, Jewish and, and to the people who talk about this film is the universal nature of it. The idea in the play that there are families and traditions that some people uh, feel bound to and other people feel that it is time to break with those traditions. And that's a universal a universal theme. Larry, I, I, the, I, want, I, want yeah. to, I want to interrupt you there because there's, there's another part of this story that I would really appreciate your perspective on. Fiddler is at its core a really sad story in a lot of ways. You were talking about families that have to break up. We're talking about uh, uh, pogroms. We're talking about uh, some of the most horrifying events in human history. And yet Fiddler is perceived as this joyous film and play, but more people have seen the film. So explain that dichotomy for us. You know, the reason that the film and the, the story works is because it combines all these aspects of life. It's not just about happiness. It's not people only dancing at a wedding with bottles on their head. It's about a father who is dealing with the loss of his daughters. When they marry off, if they marry out of the faith, or if they're leaving for the uh, United States, or if uh, they're staying behind. Um, there are pogroms in the film, there are murders. In fact, there are times when I was watching this film and uh, thinking, boy, I can really relate to this. Uh, my family came from Russia. They left because of the pogroms. There were people who, who died. Uh, the, I have a recording that I did of my grandmother in 1982 talking about the, the rapes and murders in, in her family and why they had to leave Russia. Um, so it was, you know, as something I could, I could relate to at the same time, life is made up of, of joy and sadness. Uh, and the film has both, uh, the, some of the things that really, um, affect me when watching this film was seeing the interviews with the three girls who play the older sisters out of the five sisters in the play and the movie who are now women in their seventies. We're talking about what it was like to get through the audition process and then to be cast and then to be directed by Jewison. And they sing the songs. Um, At age 70 show, something? Yeah, they sing the songs now on screen. But the, the most fetching moment in the entire film is Sheldon Harnick, who is the only surviving writer uh, of the, uh, who was involved in the original play. And he wrote Sunrise, Sunset and he sings it 
he sings the entire song. <laughs> um, it's an intense. It's actually it's an intense moment uh, in the in the film, uh, in the, in the documentary. And as a documentarian watching this, I'm thinking, oh my god! I know they asked him to sing the song, but they didn't know what they were going to get. Uh, he just does it a cappella, sings the whole thing, and then he looks up and he he starts crying on on camera, and you know it's hard not to it's hard not to cry just talking about that. So this is you know the re reviews of this film say okay this is a film that you might see um, on the DVD you know the making of yes true it doesn't break any new ground in terms of filmmaking. But boy, it's a it's a one-two punch. Um, I highly recommend it. You can see it on Amazon now. You can see it on Vudu. You can see it on Kino, whatever that is. Uh, and it's also on Apple Television. So this, both of these films, Hallelujah and Fiddler's Journey to the Big Screen, um, even though they're connected by their Jewish themes, uh, even though they're connected by the earworms of of the music in both of them, I mean, you can't get Fiddler out of your head. You know, Sunrise Sunset was with me for days after watching this. Uh, but these are universal themes. These are things that everybody can can relate to. Uh, either even if you're just interested in how a movie is made, or if you're interested in how families relate to one another, or you're interested in how 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 musicals and songs get created and how they stick in our heads. Well, the, these films are are wonderful one-two punch. Um, perfect, perfect for the holidays. We leave it there, Larry Hunt. Thank you so very much. All right, thanks, Bill. Thanks, Monty. Bye bye. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Some Greenfield residents are disappointed by the response to a State Department of Environmental Protection audit of the Lunt Silversmith property in Greenfield that showed lingering environmental contamination that needs to be addressed. Bruce Nicholson is the licensed site professional responsible for coming up with a plan to address the problems outlined in the state's audit, a plan which neighbors to the property have called woefully inadequate. Greenfield Mayor Roxanne Wiedegardner says they're following the rules. Mass DEP has taken another look at the property. And they have made some recommendations to Bruce to continue to do some additional testing in some other areas. Right now, as far as I know, they are complying with everything that MassDEP has asked them to do. The Citizens Group is now applying for a grant to hire their own LSP to challenge Nicholson's plans. SNAP benefits will be increasing in October for the 550,000 Massachusetts residents that participate in the program. The increase is meant to help keep up with rising food costs due to inflation. Participants will see a 12% increase based on the cost of utilities, specifically heating costs. Pandemic-related SNAP benefits are currently set to remain in place. No word yet on when those benefits may end. An Amherst teacher is receiving a high honor. Nadla Tavares-Smith, an English and second language teacher at Crocker Farm School, is the recipient of the Roger L. Wallace Excellence in Teaching Award. The Gazette reports a nomination letter from parents and teachers stated that Tavares-Smith is not just an excellent teacher, but promotes and appreciates each student's cultural identity. The award will be presented during the ninth annual dinner at Mount Holyoke College on October 30th. Mostly sunny today, a little breezy, a high of 62 to 66. Mostly clear tonight, 36 to 42. Sun cloud mix on Friday, a high of 62 to 66. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP.
This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. Mass Hire Holyoke, en colaboración con la Junta de Fuerza Laboral del Condado de Hamden, da la bienvenida a dos nuevos compromisos para unirse a la iniciativa del Lugar de Trabajo Listo para la Recuperación o Recovery Ready Workplace, en observancia del Mes de Recuperación Nacional que se celebra cada mes de septiembre. Con la firma del alcalde García, Holyoke se convierte en la primera municipalidad de Massachusetts en unirse a esta iniciativa. El departamento del sheriff del condado de Hamden firmará su compromiso este miércoles 28 de septiembre. La misión de la iniciativa es crear una cultura de apoyo para los empleadores y empleados que tienen o han sido impactados por el uso de sustancias. Los trastornos por adicción y uso de sustancias cuestan a los Estados Unidos miles de millones de dólares al año en atención médica, participación de la justicia penal y pérdida de trabajo y productividad. El objetivo de Mass Hire Holyoke es implementar la iniciativa en todo el estado de Massachusetts para que las empresas en el estado comiencen a dar forma a una norma cultural que elimine el estigma asociado con la adicción y trastornos por uso de sustancias. En otras informaciones, los trabajos de repavimentación en High Street en Holyoke continúan este miércoles y habrá una prohibición de estacionamiento en High Street desde Essex hasta Lyman Street en ambos lados este miércoles de 6 de la mañana a 5 de la tarde. Habrán desvíos y señalizaciones. De igual forma, la pavimentación del carril de avería a lo largo del muro contra inundaciones en South Canal Street desde Main Street hasta Cabot Street está programada para este miércoles con fecha de lluvia para el jueves 29 de septiembre. El trabajo comenzará a las 7 de la mañana y continuará durante todo el día. Para más información puede llamar al Departamento de Obras Públicas de Holyoke. Yo soy Johan Rashid Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Monty Belmonte is back from covering the White House Conference on Hunger. Monty, tell us what it was like and then tell us what the first clip is you have to share with us. It was a powerful experience, and the day before the conference, maybe a little bit too close to the conference, the Biden-Harris administration released their plan with an ambitious goal of ending hunger by 2030. And the president did spell out some of those uh, items in his speech yesterday. Of course, if you haven't heard already, this conference is something that was proposed by our U.S. congressman from the 2nd Congressional District of Massachusetts and the chair of the Rules Committee, Jim McGovern, since the Obama administration. It's the first conference of its like since 1969 when the Nixon administration um, instituted programs that have become hugely successful in making sure people are taken care of in this country, including what is now called SNAP, food stamps, and WIC came out of that 1969 conference. I think the hope is that something will expand or be uh, born out of this particular conference. And this was phase one. What I loved about it is that it included the voices of people with lived experiences, included people from all different aspects of life, activists, religious leaders, etc. Probably poor timing that they did it during uh, the whole, this uh, days of awe. However, there were, I did see several members of what I believe to be the Orthodox Jewish community that were part of this event as well. So do you want to hear my edited version sans gaff of the uh, Biden speech yesterday? I would. Okay. I mean, the gaff, I know, I read about the gaff today. I, when it happened, I'll just very briefly say that they, they tried as hard as they could to make this a bipartisan event. There, frankly, is not a lot of 
support for ending hunger off using this strategy on the Republican side. There was a senator who spoke with Cory Booker who was very eloquent about why he believes the Republicans should be part of it. And very sadly, there was a Republican congresswoman named Jackie Walorski who was killed in a car yes. crash. Yes, sadly. A, a month ago. Yes. And um, I think the president, while reading the teleprompter, decided to spitball because he recognized he didn't just see her backstage and asked where she is. Oh. Um, that was embarrassing. However, there were some amazing parts of the speech um, and some inspirational parts of the speech. And here is my super cut of the, the what was about 25 minute speech, which did start out talking quite a bit about the hurricane, frankly, and then transitioned into talking about hunger. Now, why are we all here? Day. It's been over 50 years to state the obvious. You all know it well. Since President Nixon convened the original White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health. That single conference and the laws that inspired it led to transformational change that has helped millions of Americans live healthier lives for generations. Since that time, advances in research and medicine have taught us so much more about nutrition and health. And today, I'm convening this conference again because I believe we can use these advances to do even more to make America stronger and a healthier nation. And so many of you know so much about this as well and are committed. And uh, to achieve ambitious goals, and I know we can do if we work together. I really do know we can do this. And hunger in this country by the year 2030. And the strategy that has three key principles. First, help more Americans. Again, help more Americans access the food that will keep their families nourished and healthy. A lot of food deserts out there. Second, give folks the option and information they need to make healthy dietary choices. Third, help more Americans be physically active. The good news is that we've already been laying a strong foundation for this work. Soon after I came to office, I signed what's called the American Rescue Plan and the law. It helped put food on the table and keep a roof over the heads of millions of American families and helped our economy create nearly 10 million new jobs, most jobs created in that time frame in American history. A key piece of the American Rescue Plan is the expanded child care tax credit. Overwhelmingly, <laughs> working families use the child tax credit to buy food and other basic needs for their families, and has helped cut child poverty by nearly 50% in the United States. 50% <laughs> in security for families by 26%. <laughs> looking at federal programs to see which ones are working and which ones are ineffective. Well, during the pandemic, we had a real-world example right in front of us. The expanded child care credit is one of the most effective programs we've ever seen. And that's why my national strategy calls on Congress to expand the child credit permanent. My strategy would also make permanent the American Rescue Plan program that has made sure families, including over 30 million children, had money to buy groceries in the summer months, so kids don't go hungry when school is in a session. The national strategy recognizes the critical role that nutrition plays in our health and our healthcare system, and it acknowledges that we, give, we have to give families the tools to keep them healthy. How many of you here are, are medical people involved in research? You know, almost every single, almost every single discipline, from cancer to heart disease, up down the line are finding out it's affected by diet and exercise. 19 states, in 19 states, more than 35% of adults are obese. For seniors and millions of folks are on Medicaid, our national strategy to expand access to nutrition and obesity counseling is 
so they get the guidance they need to stay healthy. Our national strategy also calls for doctors, nurses, dentists to be trained to spot the signs of hunger. And the Food and Drug Administration is already using its authority around labeling, so you know which food is high on trans fats and sodium, so you can figure out which food is actually good for you and what isn't good for you. We also know that too often healthier foods cost more. That's why, that's why my strategy calls for Congress to expand incentives to purchase fruits and vegetables for our good for you. Until recently, the way SNAP benefits were calculated hadn't been as, I think this is reference though, it hadn't been updated for nearly 45 years. Actually over 45. So last year my administration changed the formula. And now folks are getting an average of 36 extra dollars in their pockets per month. Physical activity is part of a living a healthy lifestyle and avoiding diet-related diseases. There's so much more in our strategy and so much more in our imagination, but one thing is clear. Meeting our bold goals requires a whole-of-government approach, a whole-of-government approach and a whole-of-society effort. That's why I'm so excited to see all of you here. You represent society in a way that is, touches every aspect of society, every, every part of the country. When I look out at all of you and the work you're doing in your communities, I know, I just know we, we can do this. That's why we're here today, to harness our greatest resource, our fellow Americans. Everyone has an important role to play. Local, state, territory, and tribal governments, and the federal government as well. The private sector, civil society, agriculture, philanthropy, academia. Today we're announcing over $8 billion in commitments from over 100 different organizations to help reach our goals. The work ahead should be bipartisan. There shouldn't be any partisan. Just as it was when President Nixon first convened this conference and when Senator George McGovern and Bob Dole transformed America's role in reducing hunger in America around the world. This is something that should, we should be all rallying the whole country to work on together. Because in every country in the world, in every state in this country, no matter what else divides us, if a parent cannot feed a child, there's nothing else that matters to that parent. If you look at your child and you can't feed your child, what the hell else is One of my best friends is a guy who was like a brother I always fought with. We shot at each other on the floor of the Senate and then go have lunch together. His name is John McCain. <laughs> Every senator conventions can, can acknowledge that. This should be an organizing element of how we start to talk to one another again, dealing with food insecurity. The task before this conference is the important work of fellows and meeting this inflection point. By nourishing the soul of America. In America, no child, no child should go to bed hungry. No parent, no parent should die of a disease that can't be prevented. When we're at our best, we think big. It's almost like we don't think anymore that we can do big things. I mean, it's sincere, think about it. So let's work together. God bless you all. The president did mention Senator George McGovern, who is no relation to Congressman Jim McGovern, who really tried to convene this for many, many years there. But Senator George McGovern was Congressman Jim McGovern's mentor and friend. And uh, Congressman Jim McGovern wore a tie that was Senator George McGovern's tie at the event. And it was clear in that room that the people that are doing this work day in and day out knew the congressman from a 
the second congressional district of Massachusetts. He's risen to the ranks of the chair of the Rules Committee, but it's easy to get lost as an individual in the House of Representatives. But the ovation that Congressman McGovern got when Ambassador Susan Rice introduced him was powerful and even longer than the one for the president. Can we hear that? Because without this championing of these issues and this conference, we would not be here today. Now, I was sitting right next to Kirsten Levitt, who is the executive chef and executive director of Stone Soup Cafe in Greenfield, which is the only hot meal program on the weekend in Franklin County, as well as Liz O'Gilvy from Mason Square in Springfield and Gardening the Community. Uh, so where I was sitting, there was particularly loud ovation, but the whole room uh, stood up and erupted. I knew his wife, who was there, Lisa, was uh, powerfully moved by that reception for him, and it was very meaningful to the congressman uh, himself, I believe. It was also great to see... A lot of our delegation in Western Mass there, Senator Joe Comerford uh, was in attendance, Representative Mindy Dom was in attendance, and so spent a great deal of time with them on and off the record, having a good time talking about how we can end these things. And of course, people may know that uh, Joe Comerford worked for the Food Bank of Western Mass, Mindy Dom ran the Amherst Survival Center, so this is work that they have done before they were elected. And it was inspirational to hear uh, so many people with lived experiences so many people from different aspects of the community, famous people like Chef Jose Andre, who was powerful and inspirational, Senator Cory Booker, who was powerful and inspirational, hearing from indigenous leaders and hearing from people who own the biggest yogurt company in the country all coming together to talk about why this is something important to them. And you'll hear more about it on these airwaves as the days and weeks progress and as we get closer to our ridiculous publicity stunt to help the Food Bank of Western Mass, the March for the Food Bank. Well, last question for you, Monty. You've done an enormous amount of work and raised an extraordinary amount of money for the Food Bank of Western Massachusetts and other efforts to combat food insecurity and hunger. Did this conference change your perspective or your feelings in any way, or just another stop along this very long journey? It's interesting because Congressman McGovern has for years said we could end hunger in this country if we only had the political will. So to see the plan even in its early stages, laid out about exactly how this can happen, to hear the results of what happened when the child tax credit was instituted, cutting poverty in this country, ch cutting childhood poverty by 50%. It's like a magic wand, cutting food insecurity across the board by 26%. It seems much more realistic now that we've seen some of these things in play and now that the plan is laid out. I still, uh, I'm Pollyannish in regards to my ideas that it could be a bipartisan thing. Part of my goal going to this was, can you know, are there going to be talking points that I will take to myself so that I can reach across the aisle to people to say why I think this is important? Um, I think Jose Andre did an amazing job about that, and you'll hear excerpts from his speech, at, et cetera, uh, later in the show. One more quick tidbit, the Massachusetts delegation was talking to Chef Jose Andre, who, if you don't know, runs World Central Kitchen. Anytime there's a disaster area, he goes in there with food. And the Massachusetts delegation was proud to say that here in Massachusetts, they have passed universal free food in schools. And Chef Jose Andre said, I'm not going to clap for you. You're just doing your job. <laughs> <laughs> 
We're going to leave it there. We'll be back for the Reverend and the Rabbi with the Reverend Michael McSherry, Senior Minister of the Edwards Church of Northampton, after this. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday Corsello Butcheria? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Corsello Butcheria, the Italian-style butcher shop in East Hampton. The inspiration is a small family-run butcher shop in Rome. The meat is from local farmers they know and trust. Stop in for steaks and sausages, chops or chicken, or just a sandwich. Corsello Butcheria in East Hampton. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. Ron Carter played with Miles Davis in the 60s with A Tribe Called Quest in the 90s. This Saturday, Ron Carter brings his quartet to Northampton's Academy of Music. The Northampton Jazz Festival, kicking off Friday with a jazz strut. Seven jazz ensembles around town. Saturday, the Freddie Bryant Brazilian Trio, Ashley Pizzotti. In Pulaski Park, Hot Club of New York spins rare jazz 78s. And so much more. This Friday and Saturday, jazz abounds downtown. See the full festival lineup at the Northampton Jazz Fest website. Mary always worked, always paid rent. Then she got sick, lost her job and her place, and has since been living in her car. The nights are getting cold, and Mary needs to move inside. Thanks to the money raised by Northampton's Shelter Sunday, Mary has options. Shelter Sunday supports four organizations that feed and house the homeless in our community. Shelter Sunday, this Sunday, October 2nd. Look for the Shelter Sunday mailer or give online at NorthamptonShelterSunday.org. If your Spanish-speaking employees spoke better English, would that be good for business? If your English-speaking employees spoke a little Spanish, would that be good for business? The International Language Institute delivers workplace language training, improving communication among coworkers and with customers. You get financial assistance with the Massachusetts Workplace Training Express Fund. They cover 50 to 100% of the cost. So let's get going. Call or email the International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. Want to support the kind of local talk you hear on The Bill Newman Show? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And we'll be supporting the local news, valley talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. And add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp.com. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. This is our Thursday Reverend and the Rabbi segment. Today we have with us Michael McSherry, Senior Minister of the Edwards Church here in Northampton. Reverend McSherry, thank you so much for joining us. I know you were with us for uh, Monty's uh, segment with regard to the Hunger Conference, uh, the Conference on Hunger, uh, sponsored by the White House yesterday. Um, we had a conversation with Larry Hodd about Hallelujah uh, and Fiddler's Journey to the big screen story about the making of Fiddler on the Roof. 
And I would love to know from your perspective as a minister what your takeaway is from the conference, from this focus on hunger in the United States, and how we as the richest nation in the world still to this day tolerate food insecurity for a huge percentage of our population. And how is that possibly reconcilable with this Christian ethos, which we hear so much about, particularly from the right wing? So help me understand this. Well, I'm, I'm curious, Bill, about which voices uh, of the Christian ethos, uh, I mean, you know, you say the right wing, but I, th- I think it's even more um, uh, nuanced or variegated, if you will, than that. Um, it, it, there are um, theologically conservative evangelicals who are very concerned about hunger and homelessness and even environmental issues. So I don't want to. I don't want us to fall into the trap of having monoliths. Um, but I do understand this. At least think I do. Um, going back to I forget his name, but the Secretary of Agriculture under Nixon, and this comes out of books like Fast Food Nation and others. Um, as a nation, we started to organize our agriculture um, into what has become monocultures um, in order to keep food less expensive and available, um, we adopted systems of of um, of um, providing payments to, to, to farmers to not grow or to grow more um, corn, which then we had to invent products to use up all the corn. And, you know, you got corn oil and Doritos and, and things like that. Um, we have gone from uh, a thinner, healthier nation in two generations to a heavier, less healthy nation with cheaper food, but much less of it is good for us. Um, that, I understand, evolved primarily out of um, a, a desire on the president's part, on President Nixon's part, um, to keep the populace happy, right? To avoid having uh, food prices spike. Um, and now we've got a lot of large companies um, whose cash flow is dependent on unhealthy products. So where does that leave you and where does it leave, and I know I'm asking to speak for uh, a lot of different uh, uh, Christian, Christian uh, uh, faiths and churches, but where does that leave uh, the Christian faith with regard to providing for the poor and how does it reconcile with this kind of laissez-faire support for big, laissez-faire economic support for big business that also seems kind of tied into this uh, political and social movement? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to try to have an organized answer, but it's, it may, it may bounce around a bit. Um, the, the first thing, I guess, the headline for my answer, I'm going to paraphrase the Pope, who said something like, um, the market should serve the people rather than the people serve the market. In other words, you know, the, we, we should be able to harness the power of our economic system to make sure everyone is fed and fed healthy food, not just um, 
you know, food desert food where you're, you're, you're buying a bag of potato chips because it's, you know, half the price of an apple. Um, and and um, the, the, the Bible, the whole Bible, not just the New Testament, repeatedly reminds us of all people's obligation to feed the poor, you know, to feed the hungry, to house the homeless, and so forth. Um, you know, that comes out of, out of the law and the prophets. Um, my favorite uh, references in the book of Ruth, right, where um, they survive by, by gathering food that is left, um, according, you know, as Leviticus requires, along the edges of the field. The harvest doesn't go all the way to the edge. You leave the gleaning, you know, you leave that loose grain that falls outside the gathering path for the poor and the hungry. Well, we should do better than leave the leftovers. Um, in the New Testament, you have so many places, but you know, like places like uh, the Good Samaritan and other places where Jesus, uh, you know, teaches and, and demonstrates a commitment to feeding the hungry. Um, In, in 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 the in the Gospel of Luke, uh, you have the Magnificat in chapter one. You know the Mary's song, where she sings about how, you know, the 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 mighty will be brought low and the and the lowly lifted up. I mean, the moral imperative to 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 take better care of each other is all over Scripture. When Nixon, and then Reagan, um, especially Reagan preached the you know, trickle-down economics, he created an alignment between the so-called moral majority and the Republican Party. And that's um, what I think was the beginning of um, the alliance that, that, that now gives, uh, you know, gives rise to the, um, the Christian right I think you were referring to, marching in lockstep, you know, because they made an alliance over primarily abortion and other culture war issues. Um. I am wondering whether uh, you could share with us uh, your thoughts really about that alliance, and in particular uh, to focus on the an aspect of the conference yesterday, which is it's something Cory Booker talked about uh, in the interview I saw last night on uh, PBS and the NewsHour, uh, where he's talking about how one-third, we're talking hundreds of billions of dollars of Medicare spending is spent on diseases, the treatment of diseases that are totally preventable um, in service of big profits for big agriculture, uh, which was Earl Butts, you talked about, Nixon, Secretary of Agriculture. I we have just about a minute and a half left, but I would really appreciate your thoughts about that. Um, okay. Uh, G G Jesus was a, a, a um, community organizer uh, committed to liberation. <laughs> and a part of liberation is being whole and healthy. And you can't be whole and healthy unless you have um, sort of right livelihood, good food, and a decent place to live. Um, I, I, you know, I'm going to display some of my knee-jerk liberalism, my personal knee-jerk liberalism now, and I, I, you know, I think a little, a little bit more redistributive justice is in order here. Um, in the last 40 years, um, 
we've seen more and more of the wealth creation in this country go to an increasingly smaller percentage of the wealthy, while the people on the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum have gotten poorer and poorer. And um, there are many mechanisms that might be deployed that don't require dismembering capitalism, but perhaps um, softening it, um, taking more of the sting out of it. Uh, so that that's one, and I, you know, I think that's supportable with um, Christian morality. We are going to leave it there. We have been speaking with Michael McSherry. He is the senior minister of the Edwards Church here in Northampton. He is a regular part of our Reverend and the Rabbi segment here on WHMP. Reverend McSherry, thanks so much for being with us today. Always my pleasure, Bill. Monty, thank you for all your good work. Thank you, Reverend. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. So this is Massachusetts way of saying, we think it's an important program. We think it's important enough to continue for students and their families. And we're going to put the money up front to make sure it continues so that if the federal government does not renew it, Massachusetts will still have universal school meals. 101.5, 1400 and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. I am Marco, and I am always been full of life, full of energy, and always on the go. At the age of 21, I was diagnosed with kidney disease. My life was saved by an organ donor. Receiving a life-saving organ put my life back into play, and I was able to move forward and make my dreams come true. Anyone can sign up to be an organ donor, whether you're 16 or 96. Be a hero. Be an organ donor. Register today. Register at registerme.org. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. Northampton Radio Group Station.